Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I'm welcoming back a special guest, family therapist and parenting author, Susan Stiffelman. And she's here to help me answer a question from a parent about talking to her child who tends to be anxious about the coronavirus and the changes their family's going to have to make. I realize that the specifics of the situation for all of us are changing rapidly, but Susan and I hope to speak to the struggles parents are having and some strategies that they can use to address this difficult situation. Hi there, friend. Hey, Janet. It's so good to be here with you. Thank you so much for coming on to talk with me about this heavy stuff we have going on. I got a note here, and you were the first person I thought of to help me answer this parent's concerns, which I imagine are the concerns of many parents out there. So thank you, Susan. Here's the note. This parent says, I have an inquisitive, sensitive four-year-old daughter. With the recent coronavirus outbreaks around the world in U.S., I have remained informed but not shared this information with her. Unfortunately and very rapidly, my home state has begun taking precautions due to infections in the area, closing all K-12 schools. We are anticipating childcare to follow as licensed providers in several surrounding counties have been mandated to close. I work in childcare and she attends, so closure would drastically impact our daily lives. Even without that, local museums, children's programs, etc. in our area that we regularly frequent have announced closures due to an abundance of caution. My question is, what is the best way for me to explain this information to a four-year-old? Of course, I want to use language that is appropriate and that she can understand, but also have it in the back of my mind, she tends to be anxious and worry about things. Additionally, she asks tons of questions, and I want to be able to field those appropriately. Thank you for any guidance you can provide. That's such a great question, and I think it's universal right now. Whether the child's four or eight or 12, our kids want to know what the heck is going on. You know, the world is not the way it was yesterday, and we're not doing things the same way we were. So kudos to that parent to writing into you, Janet. Yes, and it sounds like she's been able to kind of keep the status quo for a while, but it seems like she's noticing that there are some impending changes. I'll try to get this out as soon as possible, and at least we can help her to answer some of the questions and explain the situation to her. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Let's start with the good news, and which might surprise people. What's the good news? It seems like all the news is worrisome. But the good news about a young child in this situation is that we have a lot of power or ability to quell their anxieties by regulating ourselves and by managing our own fears and worries in an appropriate way with other adults getting support in ways that help us finding good sources of guidance online or within our communities and friendships. So this four-year-old is not browsing the internet for information. They're going to be primarily looking in one direction, and that is to the mom who can first and foremost address her own concerns and fears. So I always suggest that parents 
before talking with their children, have a conversation with a trusted friend or some support group that will help her address some of her greatest worries around the virus and the upheaval and the disruption in daily life that seems to be up ahead for so many of us so that her four-year-old doesn't pick up on that. Because the other good news is that four-year-olds really are focused on mostly one thing. And that one thing is, am I going to be okay? And is mommy or daddy or grandma going to be okay? They're egocentric. And so the primary concern of this child is going to be about the immediate world that she lives in. And that's easier in one sense to address by, first of all, holding a place as you do begin the conversation or have these conversations where you're energetically reassuring that there's a place you have managed to land on where you're not spinning in your head with all the what ifs, all the things that might happen. I was uh, doing something for parents earlier today to offer support. And one of the things that I reminded someone when they asked the question, how are we going to get through this day after day after day, homeschooling and all these other things? And I said, well, remember in the 12-step programs, it's one day at a time. And even though we have to plan for what this is going to look like, all we have to do is get through today. And so I think it will start with remembering that for ourselves And then being in a place when we begin the conversation, you and I can talk about what that might sound like, where we're not subtly transmitting our own fears and worries because we've appropriately vented those with an adult that we trust. Yes, that's so important. Children are always taking their tone from us, and we're the first point of safety for them. And if we're not there, then yeah, it is much harder for them to feel comfortable. So we would start with that. That's a wonderful framing, really important. And remember that this is a neutral event, even though it's a disruptive event for a young child, there isn't the same kind of cataloging of where does this rank in the realm of awful things. They watch us so carefully to decide how they should feel about something like this, something that happens that's unexpected or difficult. I've seen this with kids so many times, and I saw this when my own son was young, that we might be facing something that to me was sort of, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're we're dealing with this. And his focus was not on the situation, but on me, like to kind of read me to see whether he should be worried or whether this was sort of a, a funny thing or even a good thing. So again, holding a place when she does begin to speak with her little girl that allows her to communicate in the non-verbal part of the messaging. You know, this is a change and this is different and there are things that we haven't figured out yet, but I'm solid and we'll get through this. And it's just one day at a time. So that's kind of reiterating what I said before, but it's important that we remember that we can strongly influence how our kids digest this information in the way that we come across. Exactly. I've noticed that children always surprise me in their ability to be okay with very unusual or even tragic situations when we are okay with it. We're not happy about it, but they know, again, they're looking to us as my, are my parents going to be okay? That's all I care about. That's my world. And then they surprise us with their ability to understand things I would recommend being very honest and simple, using frames of reference that our child has, uh, saying things like, you know how we get 
colds and we get stuffy noses. Sometimes we get a fever and we have to lie down. That comes from a virus. And right now there's a virus that's new. And for a lot of people, it ends up feeling like a cold or the flu. But for some people, it's very dangerous. So we're all being careful not to pass this around. And we're not going to have daycare for a while. And we are going to keep our lives to ourselves a little more and things like that. I think children can understand that and even embrace it as, okay, well, we'll do this interesting new thing. Again, because my parent seems confident that it's going to be all right. Yeah. You know, I like using very concrete ways of describing situations to young kids who are in that concrete stage. So for instance, you could take out your puppets and, you know, show the puppets playing catch with, you know, a little balled up piece of tissue, or you could just play catch and be, you know, maybe a foot apart and then get a little bit further apart and then eventually go to the other end of the room and deliberately throw the tissue where it doesn't reach and help her understand that in a way the tissue represents the germs that carry this virus. And so if you're really close and you throw the tissue back and forth, it's not very hard to catch it. If your child isn't good at catching, by the way, you can just sit on the floor and push it back and forth the way we used to play hot potato. But if you get really far on the other side of the room or one of you goes down the hall, then eventually you just can't reach. And you could sort of explain, you know, this tissue represents the germs that carry this bug, this virus, this flu, that we are really all working hard not to pass to each other. And if we're close together, then it's easier for it to pass from one friend to another friend. But if we're far apart or we stay in our houses, and you could even play the game where you, you, know, you go outside, one of you goes outside and closes the door, then you can obviously see that the tissue, the little germ, can't reach the other person. So anything that comes to mind that would allow you to make it visible and practical for the child to understand why this distancing is a really good idea can be helpful. And of course, we're all talking about washing hands for 20 seconds, singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or two verses of Happy Birthday. And this can become a game. It can become something that you do where you're being a little bit silly, maybe so that you reinforce this habit of being a germ buster, where you, you make it really hard for the germ to pass from one friend to another, and that that's the way everybody's going to stay well. I love that. And then this parent, she's anticipating that her daughter will have questions, and she wants to make sure that she's going to field those appropriately. That's the wonderful thing about children. They let you know what's on their mind, and they ask the questions. We don't have to assume that they're worried about certain things. They will let us know, and it may not even be worried about. It may just be, this is what I'm curious about. This is what I'm interested in. This is what I need to know to feel more on top of this situation for myself. I'm sitting here nodding my head vigorously. <laughs> That's why I love working with younger children. They are so clear uh, about that. So I think this parent doesn't have to worry. She's going to get the questions. And if she can just kind of not jump ahead again with her own anxiety, you know, fear that she's going to say the wrong thing or her daughter is going to be afraid of something, then I think she'll find that her daughter will be more in learning mode than anxious mode. That's a great way to put it, Janet. You know, less is more. So err on the side of being brief 
with any child, but particularly a young child, answer the question that they're asking. Don't elaborate. Don't volunteer more information than they've really shown an interest in. I love that you've talked about curiosity. The anxiety comes in for a couple of reasons. One, some children are just generally or naturally more sensitive and more anxious and or they pick up our anxiety about these things. So we don't have to assume that she will be anxious. She might be, but we can assume and begin with the understanding that she's going to need to know why you're not going to daycare, why that facility is being closed, why you're all at home. But if you deliver information in a factual and simple, straightforward way, and then ask if she'd like to know anything else, and then answer the next question and let her guide. Now, the exception to this with some children that I've worked with is that unintentionally their parents have created a climate where the kids are very reluctant to ask the questions that are on their mind because they don't want a few things to happen. One is that they don't want their parent to dismiss their concerns out of hand. Oh, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. Kids are too smart. They're really tuned in. And so that can shut them down and prevent them from asking questions that they really should and need to ask to get things out in the open that they might be worried about and quietly ruminating about if we haven't made it safe for them to bring them out into the open. And of course, sometimes kids are shy about asking questions or bringing their concerns out into the open because they don't want to upset a parent. So if they're feeling that you're already worried, they may hold in their own worries because they sense that it would overwhelm you. They're, again, so tuned into us. So the biggest kind of overarching thing that I suggest to parents is that they really make it safe by creating an atmosphere of openness, of acceptance. Any question is allowed without pouncing on it with advice or worries or, oh, don't worry about that or don't think that or magnifying their fears if they bring them in the open. This is what helps kids get through challenging situations. It's not that we can control everything and make sure they never have to face anything that's worrisome or scary, but it's that we make it safe and possible for them to let us know what's rattling them, what's unsettling them so that we can help them through it that expression, be strong for somebody. I feel like through nothing like this, because I've never been through anything like this particular situation in my lifetime, but other difficult situations I've been in, or when I had to talk to my children about uncomfortable things, or when they were talking to me about uncomfortable things all through the years into their adulthood, I felt like I needed to rise into this kind of heroic place in myself And it felt really, really good to be this big person. Not a person that was ignoring that I have discomforts, but I was rising out of them, out of deep love for my child. And because I so treasured the sharing that was happening, and I knew how precious it was that they were sharing their concerns with me or their curiosities about uncomfortable things. And I knew that these conversations were so few and far between that I wouldn't want to do anything to discourage them from happening as often as they could possibly happen. So I think this is a place that we can go for the sake of our child and will feel very validating for us and probably help us to feel better about situations ourselves as well because we're going to that place inside ourselves that is fearless or less fearful. 
Yeah. And this is one of the gifts that children bring to our lives is that they propel us into a sturdier or deeper or finer version of ourselves. We have to kind of grow beyond what we think we can do. And then, of course, there is the possibility here that the child will be anxious and we should be prepared for kids to have some signs of anxiety, whether it's more clinginess, problems sleeping, appetite changes, irritability, more meltdowns. All of these things are going to be appropriate manifestations of a child who's unsettled by the changes in their lives. Many kids are creatures of routine and habit. So if her daughter does exhibit or express her anxiety, to be okay with that. I love what you said about that fearlessness or less fearful, where we can allow her to have that experience of being uncomfortable with the changes around her or a little bit worried without fueling them with our own. And again, the good news is that when we hold a place, you know, I call it the captain of the ship, but when we convey that kind of calm, confident energy, even when we don't have all the pieces sorted out of how each day will look or what the implications will be for our lives going forward for a while, an anxious child will find comfort in that. And then we can always do things like helping them color, draw a picture of what they're feeling inside. If a child comes to you and says, I'm really scared about this, I'm afraid grandma might get sick or, or whatever might worry them, well, what color are you feeling? If, if your scary feelings had a color, what color would they be? And point to the part of your body where those feelings are, are moving around right now so that we help our kids embody the experience of all their feelings. You and I have talked a lot about this, you know, that humans have a wide repertoire of emotions and feelings. And, and so we want to make them comfortable with that. So if she's feeling anxious, to allow her to kind of connect with that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then to be able to move on, I do a lot of mindfulness practices with families, with kids. And, you know, can you put your hand on that part of your body that's feeling a little butterfly or just a little nervous or a little icky? And let's imagine that coming through your hand into that part of your tummy where you're feeling those scary, anxious feelings, you see this calm, blue, warm light just bathing that scary part until it calms down and settles down. You know how we sometimes rock your little niece and we settle her down when she's feeling a little unsettled or anxious. And we want to be sure to empower anxious children or all children with things that they can do to feel better when they're feeling afraid. Of course, there are practical things that can help them as well. Okay, you're going to be in charge of watering the plants or you're going to be in charge of helping make a really pretty dinner table for us tonight. It gives kids something that they can sort of grab hold of to channel some of that extra energy into. Right, and feel some autonomy in the situation. Like an older child that has schoolwork to do could have some ideas about what they want to do first in their schedule of their day and other things. You know, can you help me watch your sibling while I do this? Giving them ways to feel like they have agency and they're being autonomous in a situation. And that helps children feel more in control and comfortable. That's such a good point because part of what fuels fear is the sense of powerlessness. And I think all of us could agree that that's probably why we're having our own anxious moments because there's so much uncertainty and human beings tend to like things to be predictable. What causes and feeds anxiety is that sense of helplessness and powerlessness in a situation. So like you said, 
any opportunity to put a child in charge of something or to give them a job or to help them be the one who teaches you something can allay some of their anxieties. I love what you said about normalizing the feelings that your child is anxious, perhaps, and is sharing that with you. And really, this is a situation that we have reason to feel anxious, and it's okay. You know, children are so adaptable and remarkably resilient when we have faith in their ability to kind of take a sharp left turn when one wasn't expected. And uh, I actually am trying to reframe at least one small part of what we're all going through as an opportunity for kids to discover on the other side of this that they can go through difficult things. I mean, this is the way that we grow resilient. And this is how we become resilient ourselves. We go through something we didn't know we could go through. We find our way through it as hard as it might be at times. And when we come out the other side, we are sturdier. We're more confident. So there is the potential here if we can take this gently and be kind to ourselves and to each other, that our kids will become more resilient as a result. I feel like there's a very good possibility that our children are going to look back, and maybe we will as well, at this time and feel how special it was and how, how much they learned and how much they gained from it sharing a big experience with their family. And again, know, like you said, that we got through and look what we were able to do. And it does empower you. It makes you feel like you can do anything. I agree. I think that, you know, if we can hold on to that image and not get lost in this swirl of confusion and worry right now and, you know, do our due diligence, be incredibly careful and conscientious, practice social distancing, try and implement some, some degree of sanity in our daily lives and continuity and regularity and routine, but also hold a vision of coming through this stronger and sturdier and more connected, maybe more vulnerable and exposed in a good way with one another. I think it could be that there would be at least a few silver linings. Not that we would ever choose this. No but we can help each other come through this and be all right. I love what you started out with saying about uh, one day at a time. For today, we're okay. And let's end with that. Yeah, it'll be all right. Thanks, Janet. Thank you so much, Susan. Please also check out Susan's incredible resources, her books, and her podcast, Parenting Without Power Struggles. Also, please check out some of the other podcasts on my website, JanetLansbury.com. They're all indexed by subject and category, so you should be able to find whatever topic you might be interested in. And both of my books are available in paperback at Amazon, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Child Care, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can also get them in ebook at Amazon, Apple, Google Play, or Barnes & Noble, and in audio at audible.com. Thank you so much for listening. We can do this. <laughs>